0: Hey, Bills Mafia, we know there's only one topic every day,
2: all Bills all the time. And now Matt Bove and Sal Capaccio are going really deep, talking Bills all year long, because it's always
0: game day in Buffalo.
1: All right, well, our first foray into the video portion of It's Always Game Day in Buffalo seemed to be pretty successful. Sal Capaccio, Matt Bovee, in case you missed it. It's so over at uh, my YouTube page. It's also just kind of living over in the social media space. It was pretty cool to see your face and allow everybody else to do the same thing, Matt.
0: I didn't even know what you looked like up until a couple <laughs> of days ago when we did our first video portion. We had never met in person, so it was good to finally see what Sal Capaccio looks like.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's pretty much a lie, right? I mean, I... That's been, I'm very much, a lie. That, right? okay, very much I, a lie. I want everybody to know, we, uh, Matt and I, uh, we've been doing this for a year now, but now we're not just on audio, we're on video, and we really appreciate it. And that's a a great time to welcome in our uh, our guest here. We have a very special guest. We're going to welcome in to It's Always Game Day in Buffalo, Brian Baldinger. You know Baldy. I mean, he's all over Odyssey platforms everywhere. We'll tell you about, more about what he's doing. But, uh, Brian, welcome into It's Always Game Day in Buffalo with Salamat. We really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, thank you, guys. Good to be with you. It's uh, you know just a fun time of the year for every team and everybody that's a part of this uh, machine of the NFL. It's just a, a really good time leading up to the draft in two weeks.
0: So Baldy, you know, he was diving into tape before we had the conversation. So he and his in the cuddle in the huddle co-host Jason LaConfora, they're hosting the Odyssey NFL Draft Special. That's on Thursday, April 27, 7 o'clock Eastern. That's going to be through the entirety of the first round, streaming live on the Odyssey app and sports YouTube page. So Baldy, before we get to the draft, I know that's what a lot of people want to know about. we got to ask you some specific Bills questions, and I'm going to lead off. Did Diggs ever take you up on watching film? Did you break down the film with Diggs?
2: No, I never did. I mean, I I assumed that's what he wanted to do. I didn't think it had anything else to do with anything else. Although, the people that sort of chimed in, um, which were a lot, uh, <laughs> I think they thought maybe he was thinking about doing something else. But I just assumed the way I sat down with Devonte Adams and Amari Cooper and different guys around the league that that's what he wanted to do. He, and I and I, you know, when he sent me that little note uh, via Twitter. I actually started pulling plays, you know, routes and guys he beats and how he sets guys up and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I I started pulling plays going back to Minnesota. And um, so I was ready if you wanted to sit down.
1: Well, we appreciate you coming here, and I know that uh, Bills fans appreciate all your breakdowns on Twitter, and I'm sure Stefan Diggs appreciates it. That's why he reached out to you. Sal Capaccio, Matt Bove, WGR Sports Radio 550, WKBW-TV, Channel 7 in Buffalo, and of course, Brian Baldinger, Odyssey NFL insider. All right, on that note, Stefan Diggs, it wasn't long ago. Where nobody wanted to come to Buffalo, Brian. I mean, you know, you know about it, right? It was to say hey, this is a kind of a wasteland of a spot to go to in the NFL as far as the team wasn't very good for 20 years, but that's changed. And I think it really kind of signified the change with Stephon Diggs' arrival to Buffalo back in 2020. And really, this organization they've built back in 2017, they started it with Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean. From what you've witnessed from the outside for the last six years of this organization, this regime, and where they were and where they've been to, can you kind of give us just a, a rundown of, well, your thoughts overall on the organization and where they are
2: now. I remember being up in Rochester this past summer during training camp, and they had a scrimmage that day, and I'm, I'm pretty good friends with some of the coaches. So I saw Aaron Cromer and Leslie Frazier and different guys I've, I've known a long time. And I, and I remember just, you know, we were doing a show out there for the NFL Network, and, you know, Josh came over and said hello, and, you know, we talked to a bunch of different guys. And I thought, and I remember talking to Von Miller after the end of practice, and I was like, this is maybe the most fun of any that any team is having this whole league. Like I, just the way that the camaraderie, the way that they got along, the way that they competed in practice. Um, like it just looked like that's what, you know, an NFL franchise should look like from the outside. Now, I'm not inside the locker room and go to meetings, and, but you know, just from the outside, like guys have a good time, practice hard. Uh, got a real good leader in Sean McDermott. Um, I just thought it was, what you want your NFL franchise to be like Um, just from the way that it was constructed to the coaches, to the work ethic, you know, to the production uh, you know, I thought, I thought they had it all right there.
0: It's funny because the buzzword for the last five, six years has always been culture. And I think sometimes people scoff at it. They're like, okay, we get it culture that matters to you guys. But I mean, you're following the entire league. It feels like it really does matter. You need to have a good culture to be successful
2: you can feel it. You really can feel it. You go to some places and you go, "Boy, when's the change going to happen here? Cause they need it. I mean, you can feel it. It's, pal- it's palpable. And you know, I mean, I, I, I know some of the guys, Dion Dawkins, I've known a long time, different guys on the team, but that, that place just, it feels special. It feels different. I mean, the bills mafia thing is real. The interaction with their fan base and the players and the team is real. Um, The way that they kind of rally around certain things that have happened up in Buffalo and the way the players support some of the, you know, social things that have gone on in Buffalo. Like that's, that's a real community. And it's, uh, it's not like that everywhere. I mean, I'm in Philly. It's very much like that here in Philadelphia, but there's a lot of teams that are trying to get there and they're just not there.
1: Well, Baldy, you mentioned it, the community, you know, I mean, as someone who's on the sidelines for every game, I travel with the team. I I felt it last year, all of the different, circumstances that this organization went through. We can go all the way back to almost a year ago now, actually, yeah. the uh, the the racist mass shooting that occurred at the supermarket. And then, of course, you had the issue, um, the medical issue with Kim Pagula. And then we had the weather and the change of game. We had to go to Detroit. Then you had the blizzard here in Buffalo that killed over 40 people because people were freezing to death in their car. And then the Damar Hamlin situation, I could go on and on. I felt at the end of the year that this team kind of ran out of gas. But it's not that simple, of course. People want more reasons. Why didn't they beat the Bengals? What went wrong? How much of it was, hey, this team just – they had nothing left to give versus they just weren't at the level of the Cincinnati Bengals?
2: It, You know, that's hard, to, that's hard to answer. I mean, you could certainly put all the things that you just listed and go that would be a good excuse. Except, you know, players don't want excuses. You know, they they did not play well against Cincinnati. They had a home game. The fans were vastly disappointed. Um, it was not a good performance. They couldn't get the ball down the field to save their life. Um you know, I thought I thought they got beat badly in the trenches that day. You know, you look at Josh Allen under pressure. Um, you pick a pick a guy. I mean, across the whether it was Bates or Dawkins, pick a guy. They all got beat, you know, at some point. And Cincinnati was was on them. And they just uh I know Dion, you know, I know Stefan was was frustrated. I'm sure he wasn't the only one frustrated, but like they could not function. And it was Bill's weather, the, everything. And they could not. They did not win the line of scrimmage that day, offensively or defensively. To me, if you want to say, okay, um, what what went wrong? That's what went wrong. And you, if you want to be honest with yourself, you go, we got to get better in the trenches. And they have to get better in the trenches.
0: So besides bringing Jordan Poyer back, which I think kind of caught us all by surprise, I think most of us thought that he was going to end up signing elsewhere. The biggest move the Bills have made this offseason, not a huge splash, but Connor McGovern coming over. Now you've got another solid offensive lineman, but it doesn't feel like they made any massive splashes. It's a lot of these secondary moves. Do you think that that's the right approach? Do you think that this is going to be enough to keep them in that upper tier with the other best teams in the league?
2: Well, I mean, you have to include, you know, you know, re-signing Matt Milano. You know, they they had to make a choice. Tremaine Edmonds, what are they going to do? And he got a big contract out there. So uh, you let a guy like that, who's been, you know, the one thing about Buffalo and Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier, this has been literally kind of a pre-free agency defense. I mean, for the most part, I know Von Miller came in, they drafted Rousseau, whatever. But for the most part, you know, Hyde and Poyer and Tredavis and Edmonds and Milano, I mean, these guys lined up every Sunday you know, for the better part of this entire rebuild that they've had. And, you know, they, they, they really have been rewarding their own players and playing within a system. Taron Johnson, I mean, all the guys that are there. And, you know, maybe, maybe some changes are coming, uh, you know, via the draft. And, you know, Leslie's not coming back this year. I think it's going to be a bigger loss than what people think um, just because of the amount of respect that he commanded. Uh, throughout that locker room, uh, we'll see. I don't know that to be a fact yet, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, up until that playoff loss to Cincinnati, and it was you know that's that's a loss. Now that's mm-hmm. that's not okay. Going to Kansas City and getting beaten overtime—that's that's a bad loss. And so is because I've always thought once they got Josh and they just kept building around Josh, that this thing kept building, building, and building. You know, yeah. Difficult losses to Kansas City to end the season, but it's it's Mahomes, it's Kansas City. Okay. And then this thing happened this year. And you go, all right, is this is have they seen the zenith of the build? And now what do they need to do to get past that? You know, and not, and I don't want to throw this the silly phrase of is the window closing. No, Josh is still there, the core is there, but they've got to find a way to to make a leap here right now. And you know, Josh. Had far too many turnovers last year. What is that because of? Is there just, does he have to create all the time as much as he does? Those are, you know, questions that if I was Josh, you know, if I was, um, you know, the Bills, I'd be asking a lot of those questions right now going into the draft.
1: Well, they do still have Josh Allen. We know he's one of the top in the top quarterbacks in the league. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about receiver outside of Stephon Diggs, what Gabe Davis can be as a number two. Did he live up to what they thought last year? Then they go out and they get Trent Shurfield, Deontay Hardy. They still have Khalil Shakir. What about those skill position players? What about those guys around Josh Allen to elevate it? Matt just touched on Connor McGovern and trying to protect Josh a little bit more. But how about the skill guys that Josh can throw to? Are they on the level or do they need to address this again here as the offseason rolls on, especially in the draft?
2: Well, we got to see what Shakir can be. I mean, we don't know. Um, so, you know, rookie year, got a chance when, you know, McKenzie kind of went sideways on him. So he got a chance to, you know, get on the field. We got to see what most players make their biggest leap between the first and second year. So I like to, I like to see, you know, what he could do in that case. Trent Sherfield is a guy that can run. He's got speed. Um, was probably the third guy in San Francisco. When he was there, probably the fourth guy in Miami last year. So he's never had to be the guy. I'm not saying he can't be, but he's never been in that position. If you said, okay, is Gabriel Davis the number two or is there a competition for the number two? I don't know that Trent Sherfield could beat him out uh for that spot right now. I've seen flashes of Gabriel two years ago. Look like he, you know, he had arrived, and then we didn't see it last year. So uh, there seems to be a lot of question marks around that that group right now and I think there's Stefan Diggs, and then what else do we have? I mean, you know, they, they brought back, you know, certain players last year uh, to play the slot. It seems like a position of need. There's a lot of, to me, this is a slot receiver draft. That's what they all look like to me, whether it's Jackson Smith and Jigba or Jordan Addison or Zay flowers or Josh Allen, they all look like slot receivers to me. Like, is this a year that they with the 27th pick, take one of those guys, and just go let's just go young let's put them in the fold here let's put them in the slot let's go
0: and that is the perfect segue because coming up after a short break we're going to talk about the draft and which position they should be going to
1: hey everyone this is brett boone would you know it i've got a podcast going strong on our
0: All right, so here we are. Now we're only a couple weeks away from the draft. We're getting closer every single day. All we do is talk about this thing. You brought up the receivers. Baldy, for the last two months, I have been hammering the receiver drum on this podcast every single week. I think that's what they should be doing with their first pick if they like one of the guys available. What are your overall impressions of this class, and are there any of them in particular you think fit well with the Bills?
2: Like, I don't see Jamar Chase. I don't see Justin Jefferson in this draft. I just don't, I don't, I, I, mean, I don't even know if I see a Cooper cup who was a fourth round pick, you know, small school, but you know, has become an elite player in this league. Um, I feel like there's one true ex receiver in Deontay Johnston at a TCU that has the size, the ability to just, you know, take one-on-one coverage, win jump balls, go routes. Like I feel like there's one guy like that. And I feel like everybody else is kind of fighting for a slot, you know, slot position supremacy. Um, there, there's a lot of good route runners. Jordan Addison's a good route runner. He's not a burner. Zay Flowers is a great route runner, uh, but he's small. Um, you know, and so uh, you go through the list of, of all of them right now. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, but, you know, when he had 1,600 yards at Ohio State, he played the slot. Now, he played in the slot because, you know, they had a Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson playing on the outside, so he played inside. So can he play outside? He can but you know, he had great production inside. And so, um, and you know, he had, he had a nagging hamstring injury. That is bizarre to miss 11 games at Ohio state with that, that something you don't see very often. So it would be a concern of mine. So you can just go through and listen to these guys. They, I, I just, I don't see guys that have the physical stature, you know, like Jamar that could just physically beat people and then run away from them. I see I see that slot receiver type. And I know some of these guys they say Zay can play outside. I mean, Steve Smith Sr. told me he could play outside. And all right. I mean, he's five foot nine. I mean, there's one Steve Smith out there, you know. <laughs> uh, I, I haven't seen it on any regular basis. There, you go up against you know, Sauce Gardner twice a year right now. Good luck catching go balls against him. You know, like he just smothers you. you know, he's he's a Pacific Manta out there throwing his arms up. Like you can't get the ball by him. So you know, like, these guys look like they're going to do the best work in the slot. But it, I think it's a position where the Bills could really benefit. You know, Jackson Smith and Jigma flowers like Jordan Addison. Like, if they're around, I, I don't think these guys are going to the top of the draft. I think they're going to start going, you know, starting at Green Bay and working their way down. And maybe Tennessee at 11 takes one. But I feel like this is guys at the bot, you know, second half of the first round where a lot of these guys can be had. And that's where Buffalo's at.
1: Well, there are some specimens at tight end. We've talked a lot about Darnell Washington, if he could be a fit. And it's interesting that the Bills over the last few years, Baldy, they went out, they signed O.J. Howard, didn't work out. They signed Jacob Hollister, didn't work out. They they really liked T.J. Hawkinson that year in the draft. Uh, Tyler Croft, they've always been kind of searching for that extra tight end to go more 12 personnel. Is this the year where maybe there is that tight end? Instead of a wide receiver, they can fit into that role.
2: Yeah, especially if, you know, I mean, I think Dalton Kincaid, I mean, he's, he's the guy you're talking about. I and mean, the guy that is really your flex tight end that can really solidify the slot position the way Travis Kelsey does in Kansas city, you move him around matchups, you know, um, he, he's that type of player. He's very smooth. He catches, he runs very, I mean, his routes are just so easy. It makes everything look easy at his size. And he just runs so well, like that'd be the, that'd be the dream. To me, that'd be the dream player for Buffalo in this draft. Now, can darnell washington do some of those things yes and he can help you out in the run game um you know he's just a massive body that moves really well that catches the ball well um i feel like you know i know dawson Knox had one good year you know where he had the nine touchdown catches and and maybe dawson can still be that guy but if you're looking for you know 12 personnel um you know there's luke musgrave i mean there's guys in this draft there's um, you know, Sam Laporta from Iowa. There's some guys in this draft, um, maybe not at 27, but maybe second round that might be around. But probably if you want Washington um, or if you want Laporta, you probably can't get them with their second round pick.
0: Baldy, would it be a waste of a resource to use a first round pick on a running back, even though Bijan John Robinson is such a highly touted player?
2: Uh, if you could get him at 27 – I'd be a little bit more platible. Uh I, I don't believe you should spend a, a top 10 pick on any running back. Like I, I I'm not telling the last guy who's going to bash any of these players is me, but you know, one of my favorite players in this whole league is Aaron Jones, like production off the chain. He's got 60 touchdowns in six years in green Bay. Um, you know, he was a fifth round pick at a UTEP. Um, Nick Chubb, you know, is, it, it, you know, averages over five yards a carry. And you just go through the list. You know, Brees Hall was traded back for in the first round, but he was a, basically a second round pick. I mean, Dawson Eckler was I look, at, I look at a guy like Israel Abanaconda. I, you know, I look at, you know, um, Charbonnet. Like, I just look at these guys and they're all good players. You know, are is, to me, the question I would have if I was, you know, Brandon Bean right now, I'd go, okay, B. John Robinson at 27 if he was there like I don't know how to get past Dallas but if he was there at 27 I go okay we've got a couple guys here that we like it's Devin Single. motor was fine in his role I thought he was a really good player for being a third round pick at FAU but if you say okay we want something special all right maybe Bijan is that guy but at the same time you go gosh do we want a wide receiver a defensive end you know pick up you know an offensive guard or do we want um, a running back? Like, to me, the running back is the fourth guy. Because I know I could get Israel Abanaconda in the second or third round. I know I could get Charbonnet in the second round. I mean, I, I go through the list of these guys, McBride at a UAB. I mean, I, there's there's a lot of good backs in this in this whole draft that tested well, that have thumped to them. And then I, I watch Bijan sometimes against Baylor or TCU, and I go, okay, where's the magic? Because I don't see it. I you know I see a lot of plays where there's you know they didn't gain a yard a lot and too many for me like where's this you know I I block for Eric Dickerson and and Tony Dorsett like those guys made plays when I fell on my face you know like they made me look good like special backs gain yards when it's poorly blocked plays and I and I, I just don't see enough of that from Bijan.
1: Austin Eckler was undrafted. He went to Western state, Thank right? Western you. Colorado. I mean, like, I, I agree with you. I've been saying this. It's just, and you have Josh Allen. It's not like you're going to, if you're going to draft a first round running back, you're going to want to justify drafting a first round running back. And I just don't think it makes sense for the Buffalo bills. And then they did dra- uh, sign Damian Harris. So I think we're probably leaning that against it, but it's still a talk out there. With Bills fans. All right, you brought up offensive line. You played the position ball. Let's talk about that group this year. Um, I think the Bills are very much in on Spencer Brown. But if Darnell Wright is there at 27, I don't think he will be. That'd be something really to think about. What about the tackles on the right side and the interior if someone is there to help out the Bills in the run game and protect Josh Allen?
2: Well, I mean, Darnell Wright is my favorite player, favorite offensive lineman in this draft. Um, I mean, he just he started 42 games at Tennessee. He's a mauler. He's 6'7", he's 335 pounds, he ran a 5-flat 40. Um, He sets the tone. Like, he starts the fight, he finishes the fight. He shut out Will Anderson this year, he shut out Trayvon Walker the year before. He's played left side, right side, right guard. Wherever you want to play him, I I don't think he'll be there at 27. But if he was there, if he was there at 23, I mean, I'd get on the blower and I'd start making some phone calls.
0: He's so good. We were watching some film of him the other day, and it's just like, he's like a bully out there. I don't even know how you could, and you pair him on the other side of Deion Dawkins, you would really have two cornerstone players that you could build around for a long time. Going to the other side of the ball defense, What's all about the linebackers here. Everybody's like, who's going to replace Tremaine Edmonds? Because you love Milano. Milano is such a great playmaker. He does so many things for this team. But who's going to play next to him? And I feel like Jack Campbell and Drew Sanders are the two guys that everybody always jumps to because they're both just big athletic specimens. Do you see either of those guys as fits? And are they worth first round picks?
2: I, I don't think either one are first round pick. I don't I I'm not in love with the off the ball inside linebackers. Drew Sanders had a great year this year at Arkansas. Um Jack Campbell is a physical specimen. I mean, he did it for three years at Iowa. Um against good competition, very productive player, 300 tackles there at Iowa. Um I like Jack Campbell a lot. I don't know he's a first round pick, but I but I think Sanders, Trenton Simpson, uh Campbell, they, they look like second-round picks to me. And I think um, I don't. I remember what Matt Milano was. Um, he's an undersized guy that can flat out run. you can cover. That's the question I have for all these guys because you don't really know. And it was a question really with Tremaine Edmonds. To be honest with you, for a long time, I know his size and his length made it difficult in zone to throw over him. But sometimes when you're blitzing, you got to play man. You got to man up. You got to cover the tight end. You got to cover the back. And that's the job of the off-ball inside linebackers. That's why a lot of teams play dime linebackers right now. Um, they play one and they play a strong safety down the box to be able to cover. And, you know, the Bills have been fortunate in that they had a really tall athletic kid in Edmonds and they got a guy that could run like, you know, Milano. And so he could do all those things to the elite backs in this league and he could stay with them on the flat and the Texas routes and all the things that are coming at him. But they need they need to find a guy if they want to keep playing the zone defense that they've been playing, that's got size and range, you know, and, and if it has to man up, can run with tight ends down the middle of the field.
1: I wonder if with Leslie no longer there and Sean calling plays, you know, the Bills went out. They re-signed Jordan, but they also signed Taylor Rapp, which is really interesting. Baldy, I wonder if maybe an indication. Maybe they were a little light last year with Taron in the box a little too often. Teams did some things to get him that way. Is that maybe the model the Bills might go to, where you maybe see three safeties on the field a little bit more? You know, Sean ran that big nickel in Carolina a lot when he was there.
2: Yeah, he did. And the Eagles ran it extensively yep. all year. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson was that safety down the box. Uh, he also, you know, had interceptions. I mean, they they played basically three safeties all year. And they did have, you know, they did have Kears, Hazier, uh White, uh, when they needed to against teams that wanted to run the ball first down. You know, they had two linebackers on the field. But for the most part, they play that dime look. And, um, you know, if, if you're one of those teams right now that's going up against good, you know, tight ends and running backs that can catch the ball, like, that's probably your best – your best defense you're playing right now.
0: My last one for you on the draft, defensive line. The Bills have a lot of defensive tackles for one more year. They've got Jordan Phillips. they got Daquan Jones, Ed Oliver, uh, who, Oh, Tim Settle. Tim Settle. So those are the four that all are up after this year. But they've spent a lot of money and resources on defensive line. Is there anybody in the first round who you like for them that could be available at 27th?
2: Well, Elijah Cansey might be available, and you know you could say, okay, you know they've got Ed Oliver. They've already got an undersized defensive tackle. Right. I think Chansey, uh, Cansey is a better player than Ed Oliver. Um, he he's he could be worth it because his measurables and the way you watch him, I mean, he looks. I'm not compare him to Aaron Donald, but he he reminds him of Aaron Donald nine years ago coming out of Pitt. Now his arms aren't as long as Aaron's, and that's a that's a, a real knockdown for him. But everything else like his movement, pass rush, playmaking ability, it's all there. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to make a living, you know, at 280 pounds playing on the inside of these offenses right now. Uh, he did it in college at a high level, but that'd be the only guy outside of Jalen Carter that I could see going the first round right now.
1: All right, Baldy, I'm sure you've been asked these questions a few times in all your appearances. Uh, Brian Baldinger, NFL insider for Odyssey. But just gotta ask you about the Aaron Rodgers situation and Lamar Jackson before we wrap up here. Um, are we gonna by the time the draft comes around, will this be resolved with Aaron Rodgers? Will he be a jet by then? Or what happens if not?
2: I don't know. I was up at the jets all day two days ago, and nobody knew anything. I wasn't fishing, I'm not a reporter. I wasn't right, you know, running into Joe Douglas's office asking what's the latest. Um it they they both look like their heels are stuck in. I you know, if I was Green Bay, I'd want to get this thing resolved before the draft. And if I could, you know get a second round, you know, Jets have the 42nd, 43rd pick. If I could get one of those picks and I don't know anything, if Joe Doug is willing to give that up or not, I don't know those things, but you know, if the 43rd pick in the draft this year gets it done, that certainly helps green Bay in building this team around Jordan love. So I'm, you know, I'm, but I can see it from both sides. So I don't, I don't really know. I mean, there's talk right now that this thing could go on beyond the draft yeah, uh, yeah. for Lamar. Um, it's a little bizarre. I, I I feel like signing Odell is a sign that they're going to get Lamar into camp. Um, not that that was the enticer. I don't think that what they needed a receiver. And that's the guy they decided to go with. That's fine. Um, I don't know where Lamar's at because, we, you know, it, it's Lamar. You know, it's Lamar and his team. Like I, I don't know if he puts a tweet out, it's coming from Lamar. I, I don't know who's taking all the calls from any potential suitor. Um, but my gut tells me he's going to play for the Ravens this year under whatever contract it is.
1: All right, Baldy. Listen, we really appreciate it, man. I know that you got a lot going on. I, when you came on the video, I said, you look like you're about to go into Piper's pit. You're like, you're in the dungeon doing tape, baby. You're watching all the film in there. It's a work day. I mean, what's it like for you this time of year to grind away on that film?
2: I like it. I like yeah. it. Uh, sometimes, you know, you watch, I remember last year I was watching um, Big Ick at North Carolina state, you know, I'm watching nikki Iquano and I'm kind of evaluating them and. I see his athletic ability and all this stuff. And then I'm watching this guy Zavala play next to him, the left guard. And I'm like, this guy's a pretty good football player. You know, like he's, you know, it's not Icky doing it all by himself. He's working in tandem with this guard. And, you know, like, so all of a sudden I'm like, my eye was on Zavala last year. Now I'm watching him this year. And I'm like, this guy's a good football player. Like nobody's talking about him. But, you know, um, maybe he's a guy that, you know, can be a – Fifth or sixth round starter in this league. Like he he ran a five flat 40 at 335 pounds and he played at a high level. So my point is sometimes you're you're studying a player, you you start watching another player. Yeah, you know, and you're like, who's that guy? Like I that's what I remember last year when I was watching Jordan Davis and all these guys at Georgia, and I kept looking at Jalen Carter, going, Why isn't he starting? He's better <laughs> than all of them. Kenyatta Wyatt and all these guys. He's better than all of them. You know, <laughs> I, I said that about Will Anderson, his freshman year. I'm like, why is that guy in the NFL? And I'm like, oh, he's only 18 years old, you know. Yeah, so crazy. like, you know, sometimes you watch this and you go, you study B. Sean Robinson, and then you're looking at Rashawn Johnson in Texas, and you're like, dang, he's a pretty good-looking running back too.
1: It's amazing, Matt. You good with uh, Brian? You got anything before we let him go here? He's got to get back to watching that film. Yeah, my
0: last question for you, and I know it's a little bit of a loaded question, but do you have a favorite player in the entire draft?
2: I do, and and, and we, we already talked Darnell Wright. My favorite player in this draft. Yeah, wow. I, I, I can't imagine him not being a top-flight player in his business. I can't imagine. It. Like I've already watched him do things that Trent Williams does at left tackle in San Francisco, and I'm not comparing to Trent, but like he does some things already that are just uncanny uh, in how he wins and in what he does. Like I think, I think anybody that takes him uh, is going to be really happy with him.
1: Do you have a favorite quarterback? Do you think the, the Panthers should go one way or the other?
2: I, I mean, I, I like Bryce, Bryce yeah. Young. I mean, he's just I, – I I've been saying it now for two months, but his size works to his advantage. Like, his suddenness and quickness and movement in the pocket. I mean, if, if he was standing in the middle of a boxing ring, like, he wouldn't get hit. Like, his just his ability just to slip punches, parry punches, you know, find the openings to get rid of the ball. Like, it's just precision. It's fun to watch.
1: Baldi and is In the Huddle co-host Jason Lockham for hosting the Odyssey NFL Draft Show Thursday, April 27th, 7 p.m. That's the night of the uh, draft, the first night, and it is the entirety of the first round. It's going to be streaming live on the Odyssey app and Odyssey Sports YouTube page, and I'm proud to say I'll be joining you for a little bit to talk yep. about the Buffalo Bills. So we're really happy you joined it's us cold, today, bro. and yeah, yeah, I look yeah. forward to it as well. Thank you
2: very much, Baldy. Appreciate Thanks. it. Thanks. Have a Thanks, Baldy. Okay, guys. Have a good one. Okay. Thank you.
1: You, you as well. Brian Baldinger right there. Good stuff from Brian Baldinger.
2: Let's uh, let's
1: kind of reset here, and then we'll get into a little bit more on what he said and talk about the Bills. Sal Capaccio, Matt Bove, it's always game day in Buffalo. Thanks for following along here. Don't forget, audio, iTunes, Spotify, Odyssey app, video, always game day in Buffalo. Find some clips on Twitter. Go to my YouTube channel, uh, Coach Sal C on YouTube, I believe it is. But um, I, I always forget. They created it years ago, and it's not Sal Sports, but I got to go check and make sure. But either way, we're doing this whole thing, and that was really cool to see him right there. He was grinding away on the tape.
0: Yeah, the bandana when he walked into the, Loved you know, the, got into the Zoom call. I was like, wow, this guy is business. I absolutely love that. You know, I've followed him along for years and years and years. Anybody who's in the business follows him in some capacity. So to talk to him was great, but also to just see how passionate he is about yeah. it. Like, just grinding away at film, or in a bandana, sweating, just going like, I'm grinding right now, baby. Like, all right, well, let's go.
1: Matt. One of the possibilities for the Bills, of course, is to trade pick number 27, whether that's up or down. And in fact, famously, the Bills did, they were involved in a trade for pick number 27 back in 2017. That's where the Chiefs were. They went up 17 spots. The Bills went from 10 down to 27. The Chiefs, of course, select Patrick Mahomes. The Bills select Tredavis White. They pick up another pick that wound up being, I think it was Deion Dawkins, maybe in the second round. And um, that was the Matt Milano draft. I don't know. I can't remember the exact detail, but remember, they picked up an extra first rounder. We know that. But since then, even 2018, 2019, and last year, 2022, in those three drafts, pick number 27 has been traded four times, actually. I did the research and I did the numbers on this, okay? And it's actually been traded up. It's been traded down and it's been traded for a player. Now, the player one was interesting because the trade happened before the draft. It was the previous season. But it's worth noting, pick number 27 was traded for a wide receiver, Matt. It was the Raiders who traded Amari Cooper to the Cowboys for pick for their first rounder. And that wound up being pick number 27.
0: Okay. Interesting. What pick did the Bills have before they drafted Elam last year? Do you
1: remember? They moved up a couple spots to get you. They 28? were 28. Did they go from 28 to 25 maybe or whatever it was?
0: Yeah, somewhere in that range, but it was close. So, I mean, this has kind of been status quo now for the Bills being at the end of the first round, and right. that really did start. The only year that it didn't happen was the year – well, I guess it didn't happen twice because in the Josh Allen draft and the Tremaine Edmonds draft, a lot of different – there was the Cordy Glenn trade to get them farther up the draft board. They had the second first-round pick. Then in the 2019 draft with the Ed Oliver, pick that was you know a top 10 pick but since then you know they haven't had these big premier players in the first round but I think that adds to the intrigue some people say oh maybe it's not as interesting because they don't have as high of a first round pick I think it might be more interesting because there's so many different ways they can go I think when you have a high pick you kind of know which way they're going to go like the Ed Oliver draft it felt like it was going to be Ed Oliver or TJ Hawkinson and Mm -hmm. it was Ed Oliver the Josh Allen draft, we didn't know which quarterback it was going to be, but we absolutely knew that their first pick off the board was going to be a quarterback. And then even last year, it just always kind of felt like it was going to be a corner. It never necessarily felt like it was going to be Elam because there was also McDuffie in the mix. And like some of those other guys who were like more of the like tier one B not tier one, a, but it always felt like a corner this year. They could legitimately draft like any position
1: that isn't quarterback. And I wouldn't be crazy surprised. I think that's a testament to the roster that they built, right? I mean, they have a good roster and it's when I call it luxury. I don't think so. I think that's what happens when you have a good roster. You don't have to go reach for something that because you think you need an immediate need. We can make arguments for that, but they could definitely go across the board. Let's go back to 2018. This is the year after the Bills were involved in that. That trade this is the year the Bills selected Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds. In that first round, the New Orleans Saints, This is the pick was traded twice that year. The Saints traded... Number 27 and a fifth rounder, number 147, and their first round selection the following year to go all the way up 13 spots to select Marcus Davenport. Now, if you with the Green Bay Packers, if you look at the Jimmy Johnson value chart, which some do, some don't, whatever, the Saints gave up a ton to move up in that draft to go up 13 spots. So would that be something you'd be think the Bills could be interested in doing or would want them to do? Move up with 27 to get into the top 15.
0: No, the only time last year, I remember I was really open to the idea of them moving up for Kyle Hamilton. Cause I just mm-hmm. loved the player. And I thought it would be a really good fit for this team with just the uncertainty at, cor- at safety with Jordan Poyer's contract. Now I think the only player I would be open to moving up with one. JSN. I just really like his upside from Ohio state. And I just think he would be so dynamic for the offense. And then darn all right after talking to baldy like if he is available after 20 or so do you make the jump not anything that would cost you a first round pick though and probably not even anything that would cost you a second because you only got six picks You're already up against the salary cap. You need these guys to hit. You can't just be mortgaging two, three, four picks for one guy. You need to have production from your second pick, your third pick, even your fourth pick. So those are the only two guys I think I would be interested in to potentially move up, but I wouldn't do it if it cost you a first-round pick next year.
1: I just think that the cost of trading up like that is so prohibitive. They had to give up their first the following year. By the way, they did wind up actually having a good year, so that pick the following year was only number 30 the following year, but it costs so much to move up. But what also happened that year Matt, was after the Packers went down from 14 to 27, they then also traded that pick. Um, And let me just get the, the details here. The Packers then traded 70, 76 and 27 number 27 and a third rounder and a sixth rounder to go up to 18. So they gave a third and a sixth to move up nine spots. So, When you look at the Johnson value chart, that was actually almost very, very similar. It was identical. A lot less capital to go up to 18 than it took the Saints to get up to 14. So I guess it just depends on who you're dealing with and how much it's going to cost you. Not really something I'm interested in necessarily, but at least that was not a king's ransom to move up
0: no I think that's the smarter way to do it but just in general for the bills I would be much more interested in a trade down even if that takes you out of the first round completely because what if you love Jack Campbell what if in your mind you're drafting Jack Campbell but you don't think the value meets the need at 27 and you say I don't think the 27th pick is worth Jack Campbell but maybe 35 is maybe 40 is and then you can add another third round pick or you can add who knows maybe even another second round pick because a team really falls in love with somebody it all depends on who's available but I always think the team that that trades back usually gets the better value it all comes down to what's the player but when you're drafting you know you're trading up from 27 even if you're getting to 15 it's not like you are getting a top three talent in the draft you're getting a middle of the first round grade not like you know there's just a lot of variables here
1: it's weird because when the saints did it and they gave up so much you'd think that's for a quarterback but they took a defensive end Marcus Davenport usually you're going to give up that much it's for a quarterback like like the Chiefs did for Patrick Mahomes when they went to him 27 to 10. But it's interesting you say you'd be more interested in trading down. So would I. Well, that happened last year. That just happened last year. Here's what they got, all right? And this actually, believe it or not, amazing. I did the math on this. The numbers on this trade are almost to the exact decimal point in the Jimmy Johnson value chart about how this went down. It's incredible, actually. The yeah. Buccaneers held pick number 27 last year. They traded down six spots, went to 33, which was the the – second pick of the first round because there was a deal where there was a no pick anyway they got number 33 they also got number 106 in the fourth round and 180 in the sixth round so just to move down six spots they got an extra fourth and an extra sixth i like that i think that's the kind of deal i would make
0: yeah i think that's the kind of deal that you would be more interested in, especially when you only have six draft picks yes. as it currently stands, just because you give yourself not only more players, but also more options down the road. Cause it's not like once you acquire the pick, you can't make another move with the pick. And maybe there's a guy you absolutely love in the third round or the fourth round, and you want to move up a little bit. Now you have ammo to go do that. So it just gives you more options. And I know at some point you got to make the pick, but with the bills roster, I think it'll be a bummer the night up for Bills fans. Like, I think if you're sitting there and you're watching the draft and you've been following along and they trade out of the first round, you might be bummed because you're like, oh, you know, I just committed all of this time and energy in the last couple months to researching who they like and who they shouldn't like in the first round. And then if you trade out, you go, oh, dang, like, you know, that kind of stinks. But I think there's a long-term gain there.
1: Yeah, I, I prefer the trade down option. Um, and if you can get an extra fourth and six, like you said it, that you perfectly said it, which is they only have six picks. If you can add picks right there, that would help. And I think we're operating in a space here where maybe that didn't matter as much to the bills in years. Past. They're paying guys they are no longer this group on rookie contracts. They're paying Josh, they're paying Stefan digs are paying Matt Milano. They're paying Tredavious white. They're paying Dion Dawkins. You know, they're paying their safeties. You have to find cheaper, younger labor to come in. And the way to do that is with these picks and having more of them. And in fact, Matt, Brandon Bean has been open about the third round comp pick next year. Like that matters yeah. to them because they need these guys. They need these picks. So I I'm okay with the trade down.
0: Have you swayed at all on what you think the bills should do as we get closer and closer to the draft?
1: They should do. Mm.
0: Like, is there um, anything that maybe you weren't sold on? Maybe there was a position or a player that you were like, yeah, I didn't love the idea, but now I've warmed more up to it. I think Cause to I me, guess, it's,
1: it's a linebacker. Ahead.
0: Middle linebacker for you? Yeah. I think for me, it's offensive line. I think I was kind of more in on the skill position train. And now I'm just like, you know what? There is something to be said about protecting your asset that's $258 million. And just, you know, making sure you've got – because they really did get beat up at the end of the year, their offensive line, just really on both lines. It's just like they got taken advantage. Remember, how many – And then remember, this is the count. How many backup offensive linemen did the Bengals start in this game? Wasn't it three? Three, yes. Three. So defensively, couldn't generate any pressure. Offensively, couldn't stop the Bengals defensive line. It was just a recipe for a disaster.
1: All right, let's wrap with this. This podcast is titled It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. Well, let's talk a little bit more Buffalo because there was a great night recently downtown in Buffalo. The Sabres finale for their home season. I know another disappointing season, if you want to call it that, with no playoffs. But there's a lot to look forward to. We know that. Craig Anderson's last game in the NHL. What an awesome night. What an awesome scene. That's the kind of thing we love to see in all sports, but especially right here in our backyard, Matt.
0: I loved how your colleague at WGR, Jeremy White, explained it, that they are just now killing it with moments. All of these big-time moments, it feels like they live up to. Miller Knight, they have the crazy game-winning goal in overtime. Uh, RJ Knight last year, they beat the Predators. RJ's last call, they win their last home game of the year in overtime. Casey Middle said again, he's ended the home schedule back-to-back years in overtime with game-winning goals. You know, the season opener, they come back from behind, they win. Like It feels like in these moments, they're starting to really step up. They're on the verge of being a good team. They've still got a little bit of growth that they need to do, and I feel like there will probably be a couple players – on this team this year that will individually regress a little bit just because the numbers were so impressive, but the collective, product, I think will be a lot better. I really, really do believe with average goaltending this year, the Sabres would be in the playoffs right now. And I think that if they get average goaltending next year and you make a couple tweaks here and there, you find a defensive partner for power. You maybe add another middle six winger. You have Savoy and Kulik somehow in your lineup. You're talking about a really, really talented team. As we get ready, I'm starting to look at the brackets for the NHL playoffs. There are very few teams that I think have assembled a better group of players and prospects than the Sabres right now and I know we've said that for a long time but now it's not all a projection now it's a little bit of a projection and a little bit of what they've already done in the NHL and I think that could be something special
1: who are you picking to get to the uh, Stanley Cup finals before the because by the time people hear this the playoffs will started
0: Boston I think the best team in the NHL yeah, I think the they're gonna team. get they're there gonna I think they're gonna win I hope not I think but... I I think I could it could be a Boston versus Vegas Stanley Cup oh I know. I, I know. I, I mean, I I hope not either, but I, I just think it would be just the Oilers
1: and noted Bills and Zach Hyman. Give me Connor McDavid. I'm totally fine with that. I'd love to see that. I agree with you. But how about Lindy? Right, Matt? Um, yes. If Lindy, if Lindy and the Devils can get out and get to the cup, that would be awesome. I'm totally down with rooting for Lindy Ruff.
0: I was going to say, I think the team that I would be most likely the team that I would be rooted for and will be rooting for, I think, is the Devils. And I also think, and I know this sounds crazy from somebody who grew up in Buffalo and lived through 05, 06, O607. 06, I don't hate the Carolina Hurricanes anymore. Like, besides the Devils, I would be totally fine if Carolina won. I like the team that they have there. I like the players they have there. I like Edmonton, too. I just don't trust Edmonton in the playoffs.
1: With Matt Bove saying he doesn't mind the Carolina Hurricanes and they'd be okay with him them winning. We're going to leave you with that to chew on here <laughs> on It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. Hey, thanks to Brian Baldinger. That was really great. We really appreciate him joining us. So we have some really cool things planned right here on It's Always Game Day in Buffalo, including coming up soon. We are scheduled. We're going to talk to the schedule maker, Mike North, the VP of Broadcasting. Really looking forward to that one, Matt.
0: Yeah, and I remember listening to the podcast last year when you interviewed him, and I was just glued to my car. I actually can specifically tell you where I was. I was listening to it in the Wegmans parking lot while my wife went inside to get groceries, and I was really enjoying the podcast. And I was like, you know what? Just if you want to go in, you can. And she's like, yeah, just you can stay out here. So I had the windows down. It was right at that time when the weather starts to get nice, so you want to be outside as much as possible. And the bills have become must-see TV. So we're not breaking any news that the Bills are going to play multiple primetime games this year, because guess what? They are. They're going to play a lot of them because they're really, really must-see TV. But it'll be cool to see his perspective about you know how they have become that and how they'll be showcased around the league.
1: For Matt, I'm Sal. Thank you to Lucas Buckley for helping us put everything together here on It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. We'll talk to you next time. Enjoy the NFL Draft.